All right, let's, uh, could we stand together? In honor of God's word in Exodus chapter 3, 7 through 10, here we go. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your desire for every single one of us to be free, for every single one of us to join you in this quest to free others. Lord, would you speak here today to every single heart, every single life, just what you want to say. We will give you the glory for every good thing that happens. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message is Freedom Fighters. We have been going through the story, talking about uh, its 31 different uh, weeks going through the whole Bible and telling that one story, that overarching story of God's desire for a relationship with people and how each of the lower stories in Scripture fit into that upper story. We've got a table out there. We just had to reorder every week for $5. You can get a copy of it. Just stop by there and you can have your own. There's an envelope there. Those are for you to pick up. Last time we finished with Joseph in Egypt. Joseph dies. This is point one, is the call of a freedom fighter. Joseph dies, and after him, his brothers die. After this, the Pharaoh of Joseph dies, and another Pharaoh is raised up who does not remember Joseph. In the meantime, the children of Israel start multiplying. They came to Egypt because of a a famine. They came and there were 70 at that time. They began to multiply. Over the 400 years that they were slaves in Egypt, they grew to a, 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 a nation of almost 2 million people. The population growth from 70 to 2 million over 400 years is just under 10% a year. As they grew, the new pharaohs that, were, that, that came about became afraid of the Israelites because they were, became so populous. And so strategy one was to make them slaves, to keep them oppressed. They kept growing. Strategy two was to kill all of the males. The males were always more fearful because they would be the army that could rise up. And so they, they made a strategy to kill all the firstborn males. But the midwives were unwilling to do it. They said, hey, they, 
Israelite women are really strong and they pop them out really quick and we don't have time. We don't have time to, to kill them and God actually blesses the midwives for that. Um, so then strategy number three is uh, all of the, the, the babies, the, all of the Israelite babies need to be thrown into the Nile River. So 400 years have gone past. This is the current strategy and uh, Moses is born of uh, Amram and Jochebed, and he's getting so old they cannot hide his birth. So his mom makes a basket, puts him in the Nile River, and he is found by Pharaoh's daughter. He is raised by Pharaoh's daughter as, his own, as her own son. He's raised up with all of the luxury of Egypt, all of the education of Egypt, all the training. He's like a prince of Egypt. When he becomes 40 years old, a choice has to be made. He knows who he is. He knows uh, how he got into the house. And he makes a choice at age 40 for God. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 11. Verse 23 through 27. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So he has his own salvation experience. He comes out of Egypt, he sees him who is invisible. He has a relationship with God. He comes out of Egypt, he is, uh, gets raised he he finds Jethro's family and he marries Zipporah and they have a couple kids and he's got a job he's shepherding lambs and and he's got this comfortable life job out of Egypt our text today is God comes to him in the burning bush and God speaks to him and he says i've seen I've seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cries. And I have come down to do something about it. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to send you. God is so pleased today that you're a Christian. He is so pleased that you saw him who is invisible, that your heart was touched, that you came into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. He is so pleased with that. He's so pleased that you've tasted his goodness and that you have experiencing 10,000 blessings of, of his goodness day in and day out. But he's looking today. 
Because folks, everybody's not saved today. There is a world of darkness. There is a world of oppression. And God is looking, inviting people to be freedom fighters. It's very interesting what the call is to be a freedom fighter for at the end of this service. You're going to have a chance to say, yes, God, I uh, thank you for saving me. Thank you that I'm out. Thank you that I came out of Egypt, which is a type of sin. Thank you. You brought me into the promised life. Thank you, God. The call today is to be to 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 be a freedom fighter. But it's interesting what the call is because the call that we will do today is to pray that God would raise us up as freedom fighters. You'd think it would be, okay, give us the game plan. We'll just go out and do it. No, that doesn't work. Moses tried that. When he first, when he first realizes uh, who he is and, and he sees the oppression of his people, he tries in his own power and his own strength. It's a disaster. Jesus, it says in Matthew 9, 36, he looked at the multitudes and folks, make no mistake about it. He is still looking at the multitudes today. And what's in his heart when he sees the multitudes? This is really important. It says his heart was filled with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Folks, everybody needs the good shepherd. And they're harassed and helpless without him. And he turns to his disciples in this compassion and he says, pray. He says there's a, there's a great harvest and there are very few workers. There's a great harvest to be won. There are very few that are signing up to be freedom fighters. He said, therefore, pray. Pray to the Father. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers for the harvest. You don't appoint yourself. This isn't man's work. It's God's work. God comes to him in the burning bush and calls him to be a freedom fighter. So the disciples, verse 38, they pray. We don't know how long they prayed. We don't know what they prayed. Here's what we do know. They pray, God, raise me up. Raise us up. Raise up freedom fighters. Raise up people that will, that will, be, that will partake, that will do the hard work of bringing in the harvest. Here's what we do know. The very next verse is chapter 10, verse 1. It says this. Look at 10.1. Oh, maybe I didn't include 10.1. Here's 10.1. Here's Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and darkness. They prayed, and God answered the prayer by raising them up as workers in the harvest. Point two, the obstacles to becoming a freedom fighter. Number one, we don't care as much as God does. Moses had seen... The oppression, he had heard the cries, and other than that effort that he made before he left Egypt, which was a failed effort, um, he, 
he was safe now. He was out. And God comes and says, Moses, I care. I want to do something about it. And here's what I want to do. I want to send you. And Moses goes through a number of different excuses. And finally, he gets to the, the, the bottom line. He says this. <clears throat> but Moses said, this is Exodus 4.13, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. He is not denying the cry. He's not denying the oppression. He's not denying that it's bad. He's not denying that somebody really needs to do something. He just doesn't want it to be him. I, I'm, I'm comfortable. I've got my own life. I love you, Lord. Thank you that I'm out of Egypt. Um, please, God. Please send someone else. God wants us to care for people who are worse off than we are. Have you ever wondered why God allowed his people to be slaves for 400 years? Why God makes his nation, they, they start out as a family, they become a nation in Egypt as slaves, and they're there for 400 years as slaves. Have you ever wondered why? And just in case you're, you're thinking, you know, this wasn't what was supposed to happen. No, it was what was supposed to happen. God spoke it to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm making a great nation of you. By the way, they're going to be slaves for 400 years in Egypt. This is, this is part of the plan. This is part of their destiny, that they are going to be born. The nation is going to be born as slaves. Why? Why would, why would God want this in the very DNA of his people? Listen to this. Exodus 23, 9. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Listen to this morning's one-year Bible reading. This is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. The foreigner residing among you must be treated, treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I want you to remember your roots. I want you to remember what it was to be oppressed. I want you to remember what it was to be on the outside. I want you to remember what it, what it feels like so that you will have compassion on those that are not like you. For those who are marginalized, those who are on the outskirts. Friends, we have a tremendous opportunity as the church in this hour in America. Right now, many minorities, many immigrants, those who have, have come here from other places are feeling very vulnerable and very afraid because of our, uh, of our government and some of the, the, the steps that have been taken to make America safe. It's created a lot of fear and insecurity. 
Well, let me say this. This is a church's greatest hour to welcome people, to embrace people, to not live in fear and suspicion, but to open up and welcome the foreigner, welcome the minority, welcome those that there's just a whole culture of fear in our world today because of terrorism. And God wants his church to be fearless. It says, it says that the love of many will grow cold, that fear will grip people's hearts in the end times. See, would you see why the church is going to shine in this hour? Because perfect love casts out fear. Egypt... I'm so glad that four people are excited about this. <laughs> God wanted the suffering of others in our identity. I don't think you can understand your own life without understanding this. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort others who have similar afflictions with the comfort we ourselves have received. That we go through stuff not just for ourselves. We go through stuff and we find God in them and we find his comfort in them so we can bring that comfort. Now Egypt, and we'll see more of this later, Egypt is a type of sin It's a type of coming out of sin. And being a sinner is part of our identity. We've all come out of sin. The Bible says in in Ephesians 2.19 that we were all foreigners and aliens to God, aliens to the promise of God, to the covenant of God. When we were far away, Jesus brought us close by his blood. Every one of us has this in our foundation. Everyone had to be saved. It is very important to God that you remember that that's part of your foundation. You were in darkness. You were foreigners. God owed you nothing. And God brought you out. God saved you. This is part of your identity. So we've been doing testimonies each service. And we found out what's wrong with the current plan is you don't get to hear everybody's testimony. And so I want to read to you. Let me just find out where I am in these notes. Okay. Here we go. You don't get to hear everybody's testimony because there's a different one in each service. And Reese Smith gave her testimony a week ago, Sunday night. And I contacted her this week. I said, Reese, could I share some of your story with, with the whole church? And she said, absolutely, that's what it's for. So Risa was a brought up, beautiful young lady but looking for love, looking for love and in her insecurity, wanting to be loved and ended up looking in all of the wrong places. 
she ended up having two children by different men. And after the children were born in both cases, the man abandoned her. In that time, I'll just read to you from there. He carried me through my darkest times to save me. He became my provider, my strength, my comforter, my peace, my co-parent, my safe place, and my joy. He was all I really had, but I learned he was all I truly needed. My trust and love for him started to grow deeply. He came into my battle and he fought for me. The man who thought I was worth dying for completely captured my heart. Now I can finally stand on my own. I know who I am and whose I am. This has been a turning point for me. And this truth stirred inside my soul, completely breaking me for him. I no longer have to try to believe I am loved because I now know I am loved. I can slowly see the Lord building me up to be who he intended me to be. I went from being a client to being a part of the ministry team at Karenat. In in her second pregnancy, she went to Karenat, and that's where she found Christ. And she was ministered to from them, and now she's one of the ministers. I get the privilege now of co-leading a connect group for single moms within the church as well. I can feel the desire blazing inside of me, yearning to be released. A desire to pour out a consuming love. A desire to reclaim what the world has taken from him. I can feel his, very, his every ache and pain he has for these women and their children. That seed that was planted in me has flourished into a calling on my life to be a vessel for the Lord, to help capture the hearts of his daughters. What a privilege it will be to work side by side with Jesus. Only a good, loving, and merciful God could turn the ashes of my past into beauty like this. I admire the Lord's love for the little people. What the world says is worthless and rejects, he redeems and then dresses them for his glory. Wow. Second reason, the second obstacle we have to overcome first is that we don't, we don't love like he loves. Well, he's, he puts his love in us. He puts his love in us. He reminds us where we came from and, and calls us to love those that maybe we would be afraid of. Secondly, second obstacle, we don't know, we don't know how to be a freedom fighter. The conversation starts out 
God says, Moses, I'm calling you. I, I, I love these people. I'm going to come down to deliver them. And here's how I'm going to come down and deliver them. I'm sending you. And Moses says, who am I? Who am I? I, 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 I can't do this. I can't speak well. I'm, I, I think you've got the wrong person. Here's what he says. He says, Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm not asking you to do this for me. I'm asking you to do it with me. I am going to anoint you. I have called you and we are going to do this together. I am not delivering them apart from human deliverers. And you can't deliver them apart from me and my divine presence and my divine anointing. The Bible says in in Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus... He's 100% God, but he's laid aside his power as God, and he's living like a man. So God the Father anoints him, and he goes about doing good, healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He is a freedom fighter in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor Tom, that's Jesus. Hey, this is what he says in John 17. He says, Father, as you have sent me, in the same way you have sent me, I am sending them. He tells his disciples, you are going to receive power. You're going to receive dunamis. You're going to receive anointing to be my Witnesses, He says to them in Matthew 28, go into all the nations, go make disciples of them and I will be with you always. Guys, God has given an anointing. Not so that we can be amazed at miracles or amazed to, to be because we're powerful. It's, it's, it's not about that. He's given his anointing to free people. He's given his anointing. There's no limit to the anointing of God that we can walk in. But it's for the purpose of setting people free today. Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be the presence that is with you. I'm going to be speaking through you. You are the glove, but I'm the hand inside the glove that makes it move. We are going to be in union with one another, setting my people free. This is God's plan today. His plan is a corporate Moses. A corporate, an army of Moseses that he raises up, that he anoints, that he sends out, that have it in their heart. God and I are here to set people free day in and day out. Moses said, that's fantastic that you're with me, but why would anybody believe? He says, Moses, you, you see the staff in your hand? Look at that ordinary staff. I'm putting miraculous power on that staff. 
You're, you're going you're gonna to do miracles with that staff. You're going you're gonna to touch the Nile and it's going to turn into blood. You're, you're going to take this staff and, and I want you to know my power is in that staff. When they get to the, the border of the Red Sea and the people are all crying out, Moses is crying out, God, we're, we're trapped. The sea has trapped us. God says, why are you crying out to me? Take the staff in your hand and raise it up. Use it. Did you know that Jesus gave us not just his anointing and the presence of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that he gave us his name to use? Do you know that the name of Jesus belongs to every believer in my name? In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they're going to have authority over all darkness. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Until now, you, you need to use the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John come across a paralyzed guy, and he's crying out to them for money, and Peter says this, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. What I have, what I possess, I give to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Rise up and walk. Folks, there's power in the name of Jesus. Sometimes I think demons know it more than the church does. There is power in the name of Jesus. It's not about how good of a Christian you are. It's not about how, how good your day was yesterday. Jesus said, start doing this in my name. Start using my name. All of my work, all of my presence is in my name. And I've given my name to the church. How dare the devil think he can oppress you? You've got Jesus' name. Use it. Use the staff in your hand. Well, Pastor Tom, I, you know, I prayed and I came and I got prayer and I got prayer. Start using the staff that's in your hand. In Jesus' name. Obstacles to becoming a freedom fighter. First, we don't love as much as God does. Second, we don't think we're, we're capable of it. Thirdly, this is the biggest obstacle, is what if it doesn't work? Exodus 5, 22 and 23, it says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Hey, we didn't think it was going to be hard. We did not expect it to be this hard. We're called by God. We're anointed by God. We spoke in God's name. We did what you said, and people still aren't going free. It's really, really hard. I, I, it's not working. I've tried. I've, I did what you told me to do, and I said what you, you told me to say, and, you know, people don't want to be free for the most part. People are happy sinning. They're happy going their own way, and, and they don't want to get saved, and I, I don't really want to do this either, and, and I'm kind of a failure. And um, do, you, do you know why there's few laborers? Why there's a great harvest and few laborers? It's mainly because of this. Do you know why it took 10 plagues to free the people out of Egypt? Turns out the darkness has a pretty strong hold on people. 
It's not easy to get people free. It's hard. It's difficult. We're not good at it. So oftentimes we just give ourselves permission to give up. And we're just going to be a good Christian. We're going to take care of our little family, our, our, us four and no more. And we're going to have a nice, safe life. And one day we're going to go to heaven and we hope Jesus comes soon. It's because we're, this life is really hard. I get it. I, I totally get this. Peter was called. He's one of the 12 that goes out and they cast out demons and they're used in the anointing and they're called and Peter is is a freedom fighter. He's all in. He's going to die for Jesus. And then what happens? He fails. He fails miserably. And just like all of us, even after the resurrection, he has an appearance for Jesus at the resurrection. He's, it's not that he's leaving Jesus. It's not that he doesn't want to be a Christian anymore. But he goes back to fishing for the first time since being called. He's called to be a freedom fighter, but he goes back to fishing in John 21. Why? Because he's tried to be a freedom fighter and he failed horribly. Somebody else can do it. Somebody, you know, I made God look bad. I, you know, I represented God and it wasn't right and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm just going to be a fisherman. That's all I am. Why did I think I could be a freedom fighter? That's ridiculous. And Jesus pulls him aside. He recalls him, recalls him to be a freedom fighter. And he says this, Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, I love you. Then get back out there and feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Notice what he doesn't say. Peter, do you love the sheep? This isn't about the sheep. This is about your love for Jesus. Do you love me? The sheep, you're going you're gonna to have different experiences with the sheep. <laughs> you're you're going to get some bites from sheep. You're going to get abandoned by the sheep. You're going to get, you're going to think you're working with a sheep and they're a goat. I mean, there's a lot of bad things that happen with sheep. <laughs> Do you love me? Then I need you to be a freedom fighter. I need you to not give up. I need you to not just live a comfortable life. Notice the other thing he doesn't say. Peter, do you feel like you are a good, good at shepherding or good at being this freedom fighter? He doesn't ask him that. It's a good thing because Peter would say, no, I'm a total failure. But he doesn't ask him how good, how qualified he thinks he is. It's simply this, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, get back out there. Get back out there. This is why most people aren't freedom fighters. Because they were, at one time, they tried and they failed. And so, somebody else is going to have to do that. I'm still a Christian, still go to church, still read my Bible, but I'm not, I'm not really all in with the mission. It's too hard. Especially in America, and you can find a thousand things wrong with non-Christians. So there is a movie out now called Hacksaw Ridge about, about Desmond Doss. He died in 2006. He, while he was alive, he didn't let anybody make a movie of his story because he, he didn't trust Hollywood. He felt like 
they're not going to tell it how it actually was. And so Mel Gibson took up this 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 story and 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 said I'm just going to I'm going to do it just how it is. I'm not going to in any way glorify war. And so if you see Hacksaw Ridge cuz it's up for several Academy Awards, it is brutal and it is gory. I told you before you went in. It is the story of Desmond Doss in World War II. Desmond had an experience with, with guns when he was young, and he promised God, I will never touch a gun again. Well, all of his friends were being drafted into World War II, and he, he could not carry a weapon in his conscience before God. But he believed in the cause. Somebody needed to do something. So he signed up, not as a conscientious objector. He called himself a conscientious cooperator. So he gets into this military unit, and, but he won't carry a gun. And so they get him again and again for insubordination. He said, listen, I signed up to be a medic. I'm here to save lives. I don't need to carry a gun. And they say, you're being rebellious. You're being... And so they, he was per- horribly persecuted by his fellow army guys and by the leadership. And they did everything they could to get him out. It took a court order, a military court to tell him, everybody is telling him to get out. You tried, you tried to be part, you, you did your thing, you, you gave it your best, no one wants you here. And he said, no, I, I will go to prison if I have to, but this is what I am supposed to do. And finally, the military court allowed him to go with his company. And they went to Okinawa the Japanese held Hacksaw Ridge, it's called. It's a huge cliff. And they were letting troops climb up and get up by ropes, get up the ridge. And the, the Japanese were encamped and uh, underground, and they would just slaughter. They were, ju- they were just slaughtering our troops. And it was, it's the second bloodiest war of all of World War II. It was the key battle that won Okinawa. And he's there without a weapon. They climb Hacksaw Ridge. And the Japanese come out. And the, 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 the battle is so horrible and so bloody that the captain calls retreat. So they go back. All, they all go back down the ridge. Except for Desmond Doss. Because there are people all injured all over this battlefield. And he goes to save one and it carries him in the midst of all kinds of weapons firing on him, completely unprotected. He makes this rope to get this guy down. He's the only one still up there. Everybody else is down except it's just him and all the injured that are all going to die on that ridge if something's not done. And he lets this one down lowers him all the way down and the troops down at the bottom of the ridge catch him. And he prays this prayer. Lord, save one more. And he goes back out. And it was such a miracle that one was saved. It was unbelievable that one was saved. The the method, the, the warfare around him, the fact that one was saved was just stunning. And he says, Lord, save one more. 
And he goes back into the battle and he does this and he does this. Every time, every time he lowers one down, he says this, Lord, save one more. And by the time that night is done, he has lowered 75 men down that cliff. He was the first person in history to win the Medal of Honor as a conscientious objector. Harry S. Truman awarded it to him after the war. A freedom fighter. Didn't have the weapons of this world. It wasn't easy. It was impossible. And if you watch the movie, which I hope you do, you, you will agree with me, with every single guy he saves. Oh my, it's a miracle. Every, every single man that is lowered down, that he, he's a great guy, he's a courageous guy, but it took a miracle for every single man to get lowered down and for him to have the strength to keep going back. Supernatural, everything about it, protection that he didn't get killed is miraculous. Today, there are thousands of people alive that are the descendants of those 75 people. Freedom fighter. First Corinthians 9, 23 through 27. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Paul is not talking about salvation here, folks. Paul is talking about his Christianity after becoming a Christian. He's already talked about this in 1 Corinthians 3, that some people are going to, they're going to, they're going to live their lives, and they're, they're sowing wood, hay, and stubble. They're just living for this world as Christians. They're just being comfortable, and everything they do is going to burn on that day, even though they'll be saved. And he says, others are building on that foundation, which is Christ with gold and silver and precious stones. And on that day of judgment, after the fire has burned away all the chaff, those will be still there for all eternity. The medal of honor that Jesus gives to his freedom fighters. Folks, we cannot comprehend what it will be to to be rewarded by God, to be given crowns by God, that last for all eternity. What do you get for being a freedom fighter? Well, one thing, you, you, you get to save people. You get to help people. Maybe your role isn't the one that leads them to Christ. Maybe your biggest role is, is giving in the offering or, or your, your biggest role is to just love them where they are, but you're all in. You're freedom fighting. You're taking your place in the body and you're, you're, you're cooperating with the body and you want that price. That's how people get saved. Somebody has to pay a price. 
Jesus paid the ultimate price, but Paul's saying, I need to pay a price now or I'm going to end up living my life beating the air. There's a reason why we're still here, folks. People need to get saved. People need to find Christ. And God needs somebody to sign up and say, I'm in. I am in. Last point. We're almost done. The upper story foreshadowed. Exodus 6, 6 and 7. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is the upper story. Egypt is, is, the, is a type of sin. The promised land is a type of the promised life that we have in Christ, eternal life. God's story from the beginning was that he would bring people out of Egypt, out of sin, out of darkness, into the promised life where they would have a relationship with him, where they would walk with him. But in, and he would redeem us. We would, we would walk with him as those who have been redeemed, as those who have been rescued. And how are we rescued? Through God's judgment. What? God's setting us free by judgment? That's exactly what I said. The first nine plagues in Egypt, all they were was to show God's control over nature and to invite all of the Egyptians that the Israelites were God's special people. Join the Israelites. You need to join the Israelites. Only one plague set them free. It was God's final judgment. And here's what the final judgment was. I'm going to go through the land and I'm going to kill all of the firstborn sons. All of the firstborn sons are going to die. The God who is going to give his only son. The, the God who was giving his only begotten son said, here's how you're going to be free. I'm going to kill all of the firstborn sons. Unless you do this, you do what I'm telling the Israelites to do. And here's what you need to do. You need to take a lamb, one-year-old male. It needs to be without blemish. You need to inspect that lamb and make sure that it has no blemish at all. And you need to sacrifice that lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He said, this is now the first month, the 14th day of this month. The Israelites today call it the month of Nisan. On the 14th day, you need to take a lamb, a lamb without blemish, blemish that's male, and you need to sacrifice it. And you need to take its blood and you need to apply it to the top of the door and to the two sides of the door. And then you need to eat that lamb that night because that lamb is going to be the strength for your journey. And what God promised was that he would pass over when he saw the blood of the lamb. And every house that had the blood of the lamb on it, every house was passed over. And the firstborn son died everywhere else. The firstborn son and the lamb together foreshadow Jesus. 
It was April 3rd, 33 AD. It's the 14th day of Nisan. Early in the morning, Jesus, who John the Baptist had called earlier the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world, early that morning of Nisan 14 in 33 AD, the Lamb was inspected in the court of Pontius Pilate. Pilate was the Roman government in our history, and he looked over him and said, this man is innocent. He was without blemish. His accuser gave the money back that he had got for betraying him and declared as he gave the money back, he's innocent. He is without blemish. That afternoon, at the very time that all of the Passover lambs were being sacrificed in the temple, at that very time, Jesus died on the cross. Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus is foreshadowed by the firstborn sons. He's the only begotten son of the father. And he's foreshadowed by the lamb. Because God's great desire is for you and I to be free. The cross was an act of judgment, God's judgment against sin. It says in Romans 3.25 that Jesus became a propitiation for our sins, a sacrifice that diverts the wrath, the judgment of God against sin to himself. He who knew no sin was made sin in order that you and I might be made right with God. The Lamb of God was slain. The firstborn son was slain because God's desire is to walk with you. God's desire, God's passion is to walk with you. The Jews rehearse Passover again and again and again every year. It's all about redemption. But here's, here's the truth. and We're ending with this. It's not enough that Jesus died on the cross for you. It wasn't enough. Every family had to kill this lamb and slaughter this lamb. Every family had to find the lamb without blemish. But it wasn't enough that they killed a lamb. They had to apply the blood of that lamb. They had to apply it to their own home. You, you have to apply the blood. Jesus said, whoever hears my words, my message, and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not come into judgment. He has passed over. From death to life. You and I have to apply the blood ourselves. We have to make what Jesus did good for us. And then we have to eat the lamb. He is our life. He is our sustenance. He is. How do you get out of jail? How do you have strength to get out of sin? You got to eat the lamb. He's the feast that gives you strength to get out of Egypt. He is your sustenance. Jesus is our salvation. Can we have every head bowed and every eye closed? If you are here today and you do not know that you're saved, you don't know that you're forgiven, you don't know that judgment has already happened for your sin. It happened 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. And today you want to apply the blood. 
today you want to own it. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in. He will be your salvation. If that is you, we're going to pray that in just a moment. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high long enough for me to see it? And we will pray that prayer. You need to apply the blood today. Is there anybody like that today? Okay, I see that hand. Thanks. God bless you. Put that down. Anybody else? I'm going to ask those that have raised their hand to put their hand over their heart right now and pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being not just the firstborn son, the only begotten son, but the lamb of God. Thank you that you died on Passover because you don't want me under judgment, not now or ever. Thank you for taking my judgment for sin. I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus. Save me and become my feast. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we stand to our feet? Maybe you're here today, you're a Christian. Maybe, maybe it's never really occurred to you that you're supposed to now join God in freedom fighting. Maybe you're here, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've, you've, you've stepped up in the past, but right now you, you just got comfortable and God is recalling you to be a freedom fighter. Maybe you don't know how to do it. You don't, you feel ineffective. You feel da, 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 da. God's not asking any of that. He's saying, I care. I care about the harvest. I care about those who are harassed and helpless that darkness is exploiting. I care about every Risa that has had children out of wedlock that has made bad decisions, has been oppressed and exploited by darkness, just looking for love and just getting absolutely trashed by this world. And they're all around us, folks. I care for the minority that is black or Asian or Middle Eastern that you're kind of afraid of. I care for them. I died for them. And I I need somebody. I need somebody to join me. Guys, I don't know about you. I don't want to live the rest of my life beating the air. I don't want to live for the American dream. I don't. I want to. I, I want to help. I want to. I want to step up. I want to. I want to be Desmond Doss. I want to say, Jesus, just save one through me. And then after we get that one, say, save one more through me. Save one more. If you want to be part of the company that God is raising up in this hour, if you want to be part of the army that God is raising up to be His freedom fighters, would you just open your arms right now to the Lord? Lord, when you saw that great harvest, you didn't say, you know, figure out something to do. You didn't say, you didn't say, feel guilty about it. You said, there's only one that can save these people, and that's the Lord of the harvest. You can't save them. Pray, 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 pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise you up. That you would not raise yourself up in your own energy, your own frustration, your own ideas, but you would pray. You would position yourself to pray and say, God, raise us up. 
So, Father, here we are. Here we are. Lord, Moses saw a burning bush. Lord, I know how little energy there is if this is a response to a man that's kind of excited. That's not going to do anything for anybody for very long. Would you come with fire today, Jesus? Lord, you know everybody's story. You know everybody's discouragement. You know everybody who doesn't know how to do it or how should I do it or what should I do. You know everybody that's tried in the past and fallen on their faces and just, you know, it's too hard. It's too hard in America. Some of us have taken up the theology that, you know, Madison is just so horribly in sin that we're just hiding until Jesus comes. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. Don't let us live lives of beating the air, Jesus. Call call your freedom fighters today, Jesus. Call your freedom fighters today, Jesus. Guys, I I just feel the pleasure of God today at your response. I feel the pleasure of God. I feel God coming and and saying, I've seen your heart. I've seen your response. I am with you. I am anointing you. I am helping you. Peter, get back up after your failure. Do you love me? I see that you love me. I am asking you to do something that is impossible. Feed my sheep. Save people. Yes, it's impossible. But I've given you my anointing. I've given you my name. I've given you my presence. We, we are going to do this. We are going to do this even in Madison, Wisconsin. Who the enemy feels like he's got them. They are under my darkness. I will hold them. I will keep them. And God says, I don't think so. Because I love these people too much. I have seen the harassed. I have seen the helpless. I have seen the arrogant that are trying to do life without a shepherd. And it's a disaster. And I've come down to do something. And I'm anointing each one here today. Each life here today. We're all going to have a different role, guys. We're all going to play a different part. You don't have to be everything. Thank God we've got the body of Christ. But he's raising up this congregation to be freedom fighters. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I prophesy this. All eternity is going to be different. Generations of people will be saved because of the price we paid to save one, to save this one, to get that person to the movie tonight. And they, they all of a sudden, they get saved. And then, and then now they lead their brother to the Lord and, and their daughter to the Lord. And one of them gets a Bible study going in school. And now all their friends get saved. And then one of them gets radically transformed by Jesus. And now it's just going to families and, and schoolmates and here and there and everywhere. And God is bringing in a harvest for his glory and for our good. Father, please burn away our discouragement today. Burn away our discouragement. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, guys.
We're going to have ministry teams up here. If you'd like more prayer, come on up. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great day. I hope you come to the movie tonight.